Hi friends, this is Justin from Why Catholic. I really appreciate everyone who has donated to keep this podcast going. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if people could support this podcast, but also get something in return? So I created a Why Catholic merch shop. You can find it on Etsy. Just search for Why Catholic. And I've also linked to it in the show notes. These designs are 100% original. I wanted to make something that shares our faith, but also looks trendy. You can find t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, and more. And I'm constantly adding to the store as well. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast to hear how you can get a special discount. Thanks so much for supporting Why Catholic. My family moved to Utah in 2018. We moved from the city of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where we lived in a row home downtown. And we moved all the way out to the side of a mountain overlooking the Heber Valley. Every day, our yard looks like something from the National Geographic Channel. We have herds of deer that come wandering through. Sometimes they'll take a nap under our trampoline. At night, there's a parade of raccoons and possums and even the occasional fox or mountain lion. There have been moose in our neighborhood as well as bears. It's a wild place. In moving here, we knew one of the challenges we would have to deal with is our dog chasing wildlife. Every day in Pennsylvania, we'd let her outside and she would sprint and bark at the squirrels. So I knew her behavior wouldn't change with larger animals. And it didn't. She would dart after a deer, and it would take a while of calling her back before she returned covered in these spiny bristles. One afternoon, she ran off, but this time she didn't come back. My wife got a call shortly after from animal control telling her that she had been picked up and that they were holding her. So my wife made her way to the pound, paid a fine, and picked up the dog. A couple of weeks later, a sheriff showed up at her doorstep and handed a summons to my wife. She was being charged with three misdemeanors. One was letting a dog out in the wild, one was for the dog not having her rabies vaccine tag, and the other was for not having the dog license in the county. You can imagine our shock. We knew there would be a fine when we picked up the dog from the pound, but three misdemeanors? And who's ever heard of having to get your pet registered with the county? My wife was terrified when she went to court. The document said that she could go to jail for six months. The worst case scenarios were swimming in her head. But after she explained the situation, showed that the dog was up to date with the rabies vaccine, but the tag had fallen off, and that we didn't know anything about needing to register the dog with the county, the judge dismissed the charges and gave her leniency. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. We've been in a series on the doctrine of salvation. Starting episode 43, I focused on how the sacraments are the conduits of God's grace. In episode 44, I talked about how Catholics think of salvation not as a one-time event, but as a continual process. In episode 45, I talked about the purpose of salvation is to lead us to heaven. In episode 46, we talked about the doctrine of purgatory and how it's a necessary detox before we get to heaven. Today, I want to talk about venial and mortal sin. Why do Catholics distinguish between the two? What's the difference? What's the consequences of one sin versus another? And to understand this concept more fully, it might be helpful to listen to those other episodes first, because that will form the context for this discussion. Now, the best analogy I can give for why Catholics distinguish between mortal and venial sins is our legal system in the United States. We have felonies and misdemeanors. A felony is a serious crime, murder, rape, assault, robbery, etc. Whereas a misdemeanor is a smaller crime, such as running a red light, speeding, not having your dog registered with the county. As a Protestant, I would often say, sin is sin is sin. It doesn't matter if you tell a little lie or you rob a bank. Sin separates us from God. The Catholic Church here would agree in a general sense. Sin is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor. 
The Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1849 states, quote, Sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. It has been defined as an utterance, a deed, or desire contrary to the eternal law, end quote. However, the Catholic Church distinguishes different levels of sin because the Bible does. 1 John 5, 16-17 is explicit in distinguishing between different sins. It says, quote, If anyone sees his brother committing what is not a mortal sin, he will ask and God will give him life for those whose sin is not mortal. There is sin which is mortal. I do not say that one is to pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not mortal, end quote. John clearly distinguishes here between mortal sin and sin that is not mortal, while also acknowledging that all wrongdoing falls under the category of sin. Going back to the analogy of our legal system, speeding is breaking the law. Murder is breaking the law. In the sense that they both break the law, there is similarity. But speeding does not carry the same weight as murder. So what's a mortal sin then? A mortal sin is sometimes called a grave sin. The Catechism states, quote, Grave matter is specified by the Ten Commandments, corresponding to the answer of Jesus to the rich young man. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother, end quote. Mortal sin severs our relationship with God. It breaks it. It violates that trust. And so it puts our soul in jeopardy. Remember how in episode 44, I mentioned that Catholicism rejects the doctrine of eternal security that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Many Protestants think that you quote unquote get saved and no matter what, you're going to heaven. You could do all sorts of wrongs. You don't really have to repent. And when you die, you get in, you get into heaven. The Catholic Church rejects this because it's unbiblical. Consider the following three passages. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 states, quote, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. End quote. Galatians 5, 19-21 says, quote, Now the works of the flesh are plain, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, end quote. Ephesians 5, 3-6 states, quote, But fornication and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is fitting among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no silly talk, nor levity, which are not fitting, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator, nor impure man, or one who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. End quote. I'm not sure Paul could be clearer in these passages. Those that live that type of sinful lifestyle will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If Paul believed that once you were saved, you were always saved, he wouldn't have written this stark warning telling believers not to do these things because to do them forfeits their spot in the kingdom of heaven. He warned them because they were putting their souls at risk by behaving in such a grave manner. Now, for a sin to be a mortal sin, there are three conditions that have to be met. First, the sin must be grave in nature, like the examples Paul uses here. Secondly, the person must fully consent to it. 
And third, the individual must be aware that it is a sin. So for example, if I'm driving to mass on a holy day of obligation, I get a flat tire and miss mass. Well, I haven't committed a moral sin because I didn't consent to it. I fully intended to go to mass and this accident prevented me. Now, just because we don't know it's a sin or we commit it unintentionally doesn't mean it's not a sin. For example, there's someone I know that continually takes the Lord's name in vain. Every expression out of her mouth is, oh my God. Now, I don't think she realizes what she's doing and how offensive it is, but it still offends God's heart. If I miss mass because of a flat tire, that still creates a deficiency. I needed to be at mass. My soul needed that union with Jesus in the Eucharist. My parish community is enhanced by everyone being present. This is why there's a second category called venial sins. Venial means of a kind that can be remitted or meriting no particular censure or notice. Other definitions include forgivable, pardonable, and excusable. So going back to my wife's court case with our stray dog, the judge thought, you know, here's this ER nurse who just got off her graveyard shift and she's here in court because her dog ran away. She didn't even realize some of these laws were laws. It's clear she didn't do these things deliberately. There's no sense upending hers and her family's life for this mistake. And so he dismissed the charges. Romans 3.23 says, quote, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, end quote. And so we sin every day. We sin when we fall short of that glory of God. And sometimes our sins are more unintentional than they are intentional. For example, sometimes I want to veg out and binge watch Netflix. But in doing that, am I falling short of the glory of God and the glory he has for me? If my goal in life is to become a saint, something I talked about in episode 45, is binge watching Netflix a means to that end? Our venial sins can be both sins of commission and sins of omission. In other words, they can be sins where we did something as well as something we didn't do that we were supposed to. When I neglect someone in need or don't prioritize my prayers, those are sins of omission. It can be overwhelming to think about how much we sin intentionally as well as unintentionally, how much we fall short of the glory of God. But here is the good news. There is no sin too big for God's mercy. You can't outsin God's forgiveness. That needs to be said again. There is no sin too big for God's mercy. You cannot outsin God's forgiveness. I love what paragraph 1851 of the Catechism says, quote, It is precisely in the Passion, when the mercy of Christ is about to vanquish it, that sin most clearly manifests its violence and its many forms, unbelief, murderous hatred, shunning and mockery by the leaders and the people, Pilate's cowardice and the cruelty of the soldiers, Judas's betrayal, so bitter to Jesus, Peter's denial and the disciples' flight. However, at the very hour of darkness, the hour of the prince of this world, the sacrifice of Christ secretly becomes the source from which the forgiveness of our sins will pour forth inexhaustibly, end quote. What does that mean? It means that in the darkest hour of this earth, the grace of God shone the brightest. In episode 29, where I addressed common objections and misconceptions of confession, I talked about the idea of Catholic guilt. This idea that Catholics will say something like, oh, I know all about being guilty, I'm Catholic after all. This is such a missed opportunity because where sin gives us shame and separates us from God, the whole point of the coming of Jesus was to provide grace, forgiveness, and healing. We are not meant to wallow in shame. When I taught at a Christian school, I had a student once who cheated on a quiz. This kid was bright, and he was a member of the National Honor Society. I have no idea why he cheated. 
he was kicked out of NHS for this. And as I was talking to a fellow teacher about the incident, he said, you know, sin is an opportunity to bring people to the cross. He talked about when his kids would mess up. It was always an opportunity to talk about God's grace and forgiveness. I love that perspective. In a previous episode, I mentioned how one priest I confess to after I've shared all the sins I've committed says, great, let's give thanks for this opportunity to experience God's forgiveness. That's how Christians should reframe sin in a sense, an opportunity to experience God's forgiveness. Though we should take Paul's words to heart in Romans 6 where he said, does that mean we should keep sinning so that grace abounds all the more? By no means. Every Mass begins with a confession of sin. We acknowledge that we've missed the mark. We say, quote, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God, end quote. Why do we ask our brothers and sisters in heaven and on earth to pray for us? Because 1 John 5, 16 through 7 says, quote, If anyone sees his brother committing what is not a mortal sin, he will ask and God will give him life for those whose sins is not mortal, end quote. So we believe that this prayer is a prayer of confession that covers our venial sins and God grants us forgiveness. So what about mortal sin? How do we receive God's grace and forgiveness for those grave matters? That's why we have the sacrament of reconciliation, the confessional. We don't want anyone to go to hell, but we also know that we're human and we sin. And when we commit those mortal sins, we are putting our souls in jeopardy. And so the church in its wisdom said, our job is to help people get to heaven. We've got to set aside a time and a place for people to confess their sins and be reconciled with God. If you want to learn more about the sacrament of reconciliation, I'd invite you to listen to episodes 27 through 29. Let me end with a summary. All of us are sinners. Sin violates God and separates us from him. We can sin by doing something we're not supposed to do, as well as by not doing something we're supposed to do. Our sins can be venial as well as mortal in nature. And if they're mortal, then we've put our souls in jeopardy. We've chosen, like the story of the prodigal son, to walk away from the glory of our inheritance. But most importantly, we cannot and should not talk about sin without talking about God's grace and forgiveness. In the story of the prodigal son, it tells us that as the son was returning back to beg for forgiveness, even when the son was a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him. This is why some cultures don't call that story the parable of the prodigal son. They call it the parable of the running father. Listen, friends, there is no sin that doesn't need God's forgiveness, but there is no sin that's too big for God's forgiveness. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it and patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.